0: Hello everybody. Good morning. Um, as we've already said, it's pretty hot this morning and looking at me, you might notice I'm not a person that deals with heat. I'm very pale, I have red hair, I am incapable of dressing for the weather and wear long sleeves and black all through summer. So I'm going to try and keep it a little bit short, but do, do what you need to do to stay cool whilst I'm preaching. As Duncan said, we're at the end of our summer series. This is the last message in our Meeting Jesus series we've been doing. And appropriately, almost as if these things are planned, we're going to be looking at a story at the end of Jesus's ministry. We're looking at the criminal that met Jesus as they were both being crucified. We're going to read the passage together in a minute, but first I'm just going to set the scene for you to make sure we're all on the same page. Jesus has spent the last few years travelling, teaching, gathering followers, healing the sick, casting out demons, meeting hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people some of them we've actually talked about already this summer. People have come to him in desperation and he has transformed their lives. He's called people out of crowds. He's been sought out in faith. He's sat in people's homes and he's shared his life with people, meeting with them along the way. But we know what's coming next in the story. Jesus is about to pay the ultimate price. He's going to be an innocent man being brutally killed as a criminal to win the ultimate victory defeating sin and death, and making way for all of us to be redeemed and to be with God. In the hours leading up to today's passage, Jesus has been sentenced to death. A guilty man has been set free instead of him. He's been whipped and ridiculed, tortured and abused. He's about to be nailed to a wooden cross and hung up to die alongside two criminals, whilst a crowd of people watch him suffer. It's a nice cheerful tone for such a sunny morning, isn't it? We're going to be reading in Luke 23 this morning, if you want to turn to it. It's verses 32 to 43, and it should be coming up on the screen if you want to follow along. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they, the guards, cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, he saved others, let him save himself, if he's the Christ, the chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him him sour wine, saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who was hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we, indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said to Jesus, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he, Jesus, Said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Does anyone else ever have that experience when you're reading the Bible or listening to a Bible story? Sort of nodding along. Yeah, yeah, this all sounds familiar, I know this. Jesus on cross, great. And then all of a sudden, it's like, bam, what just happened? I missed that. You have to flick back a few pages, maybe rewind it on your Bible app if you're listening to it. Because there's so much more happening Than you thought when you started listening or started reading. Let's take this passage as an example. If you've been around churches before or heard Bible stories, you're probably fairly familiar with the story of the crucifixion. You know that Jesus dies on a cross. You might remember that there are rulers and guards around who are hurling insults and mocking him, and that there's a sign above his head declaring him the king of the Jews. You might even remember that there are two criminals also crucified alongside him. Maybe that they spoke to him. Honestly, if you could have told me all that before we read today's passage, then pat yourself on the back. Gold star, Bible knowledge on point. Very proud of you. But what about the fact that Jesus had a conversation with one of these criminals who repented of his sin, declared Jesus as king, and was therefore told he was going to be with Jesus in paradise that day? Could anyone have told me that was part of this story? I'm sure some of you have better Bible knowledge than me, and they're like, obviously, Rhian, we all know that that's part of the story. And if so, again, well, well done. But to me, this stands out as a thing that we don't always think about. It's a bit we often scoot over or don't include when we re- retell or look at the story of the crucifixion. And I think that's because usually, when we talk about the crucifixion, We're focusing on the thing that Jesus is doing. The thing that he's doing in this incredible moment where he is suffering. We're wondering at the price that he's paying. We're thankful for what he's doing. We're looking at the eternal significance for us and all of history. We're celebrating this moment that is a pivotal point in history. Everything is changing on the cross. It's kind of easy to forget about the other guy that was hanging there having a chat with Jesus. And therefore we can miss the fact that even in this most vulnerable moment when Jesus is suffering and dying, he is in more physical pain than he can ever have been in and we can ever imagine. He must be emotionally and spiritually exhausted. He is dying. This is it. This is the end. He's probably pretty focused on what's coming. Jesus knows what's happening on the cross. His mind's probably pretty focused on that. And even in that moment, Jesus is ready to meet with people. So let's break the story down a little bit. At the start of our passage, we are introduced to the two others. They're both criminals. We don't actually know what their crime is. Um, doesn't really matter. All that matters is they are guilty of a crime, and the punishment is death. We know that they are rightfully accused, that they are actually guilty, because one of the criminals rebukes his fellow, saying... They are receiving the due reward of their deeds. It's kind of fancy language, but basically says, we did the crime, so now we have to do the time. In a society where there's the death penalty, the rhyme doesn't quite work the same way, but hopefully you understand what I'm saying. These these dudes did some bad stuff. They've been caught, and now they are facing their punishment. And as the three men are hanging on their crosses, the first criminal calls out to Jesus in anger. Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. This question, this statement is dripping in sarcasm and anger and echoes with the scoffing rulers and mocking soldiers who've been declaring that if Jesus... Sorry, completely lost my thing as I turned my page. How on earth did I do that? The question, yeah. So it's dripping with anger and sarcasm. He's echoing what the rulers and soldiers have been saying. They're shouting that if Jesus really is the Christ, the chosen one, the Messiah, the king of the Jews, then why is he dying on a cross? Why isn't he doing something and saving himself? You see, the Jews knew that this person was coming. They knew that there was the Christ, It means the chosen one, the Messiah, the Savior. They all mean the same thing, the promised one who's coming to save them. It had been prophesied throughout the Old Testament. They knew a hero was coming to save them. They were hoping for maybe another king like David, someone who was going to come in and rule and overthrow the Romans and bring them into freedom. And they'd been waiting a really, really long time for this. I've got some um, Old Testament Bible passages that I'm just going to whiz through. Don't worry about turning to them to show you what I'm talking about. So in Isaiah 42, it says, Here is my servant whom I uphold. My chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. A bit later on it says, He will not falter or be discouraged until he establishes justice on earth. Jeremiah 23, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up from David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. Genesis three. And I will put enmity between you and the woman. This is you, the serpent that God's talking to. And between your offspring and hers, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Isaiah 9. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be wonderful counsellor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Micah 5. But you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah... Out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. You might have heard some of those verses before. They are all pointing to this saviour who is coming. Someone who is coming to bring justice, to rule, to reign, to bring peace, to bring freedom. A king who is coming to bear the government on his shoulders. A ruler for them. And the people of Israel know their history. They know all the times that God has raised up leaders, men and women among them, to bring them into freedom, to overthrow oppressors. They're waiting for that to happen again. They're living a life where they are crushed by the Romans. They are scared, they are waiting for a savior. And the people in power around the Jews knew all this too. They might not have believed in God. They might not have believed that these prophecies and promises were going to come to pass. But they knew that the Jews were waiting for someone to be raised up and lead them to victory. This threat scared Herod so much that when the wise men visited him after Jesus was born and told him that a star had announced the king of the Jews had been born, Herod had all the baby boys killed. He was scared of this person who was coming. It seems to me that they're all expecting Jesus to be a little bit of a superhero. Someone with extraordinary strength and power, someone brave in battle, ready for the fight. A Captain America figure, you might say. Sorry to any of you that aren't Marvel fans. Someone who's gonna fight for the oppressed, overpower the corrupt, and make sure that the good guys win in the end, even if they have to sacrifice themselves within that fight. And now here he is. This man, this heroic figure that they've been waiting for, and he is dying. Dying a slow, undignified death alongside some criminals. Didn't even put up a fight. He's not dying in some dramatic battle. He's not overthrown the powers and laid down his life in the process. He's just dying on a cross. That's all they can see. He was supposed to save everyone, and now he can't even bust out of a few nails and save himself kind of hero is this I wonder if part of the reason that the first criminal is angry at Jesus is because part of him hoped that Jesus was about to find a way down off the cross and fight off the Romans and that somehow that would mean the guilty criminal got away with what he'd done and was set free and got to go off and live his life maybe that was it maybe he was just in pain and angry and scared and Jesus was right there and a very easy target Honestly, it doesn't really matter because it's the other criminal who's so much more interesting in this story. The one who knows he deserves his punishment. The penitent criminal who is aware that he has done wrong. The one who's going to close his eyes in this world and open them in paradise. In this moment of crisis and pain and desperation, this man sees Jesus for who he really is. He knows that Jesus is an innocent man who does not deserve to die. He knows that Jesus truly is the Christ, the coming king, and he asks that Jesus remember him when he's in his kingdom. He knows that there's something more after death and that Jesus is going to be there. He knows that he's done wrong. He sees Jesus dying and somehow understands that Jesus is making a way to enter that kingdom. We don't know what this guy's faith is before this moment. We don't know whether he's even heard of Jesus before. But right here on the cross, his eyes are opened. And he asks King Jesus to remember him in the next life. And Jesus' response? Truly, I say to you, today, you will be with me in paradise. Even as he's dying, Jesus takes time to answer this man, to meet him where he is, right there in the blood and the pain and the suffering. He speaks to this stranger who's seen the truth of who he is and assures him that they will be together in eternity. Physically, this can't have been an easy conversation. They must both have been trying to be heard over a crowd. We heard in the story that people are jeering and shouting, there's people around, probably pretty noisy, They're trying to be heard over them we don't know how close their crosses are together and even if they can be heard they can't move to talk to each other they're nailed hand and feet to a cross even if they can turn their heads it's going to be incredibly painful if ever there was a time that jesus could play the introvert card and get away with not responding it would be now i mean i'm known to turn down the different aisle in the supermarket to avoid talking to people And that's fairly easy to get get away with. Um, Jesus could very easily have not responded, have pretended he didn't hear the man, have known he didn't have the energy to answer, have known that the man had seen the truth and declared Jesus as king and that he'd be in paradise anyway. But Jesus is so good and kind and loving that he makes this eternity-changing declaration to the man who's dying on a cross next to him. Now our criminal doesn't have any life left to live for Jesus. He's not going to have time to change his ways. He's not repenting to turn his back on a life of crime and become someone who does good things for the society he's in. He's not going to make reparation for what he did. He hasn't even got the chance to go and tell his family about Jesus, go and share the good news with his community. His repentance is turning to Jesus and living for him for the few hours That he has left. But he's promised that he is going to have eternity with Jesus, the same thing that's promised to us when we commit to following him. Believing in Jesus didn't mean that the man could come off the cross and go and live a free and easy life. Jesus didn't save him so that he could join the disciples and do great works for the kingdom. He didn't pick him because he was worth something to their cause. Jesus invited him to spend eternity in paradise with him because he believed that Jesus was king and called out to him. The criminal got to spend the rest of his life, even though it was a few short hours, knowing Jesus and knowing that he was going to wake up in paradise and have eternity with Jesus. What an incredible end to his life. Because the salvation that Jesus came to bring isn't one of momentary relief from pain. It's not the promise of a comfortable life or money in the bank. It isn't the promise of having power and influence, of starting a revolution and overthrowing the government. Jesus came to be the saviour of the world, but not how the people of Israel were expecting. As the rulers and guards heckled Jesus to save himself, they had no idea that he was in the process of saving all of us for an eternity with him. He was moments away from defeating death so that we, those that know Jesus and follow him, can live free of sin and shame. He was paying the ultimate price for all of us. He wasn't interested in saving himself. He was doing what had to be done to save all of humanity for all time. It's what we've been celebrating this morning, what we've been singing about, what Duncan um, read the passage about and prayed about for us. Jesus isn't trying to save himself on a cross. He's doing the thing that has to be done to save everyone. In one of the commentaries that I read when I was preparing for this message, um, there was the quote, conversion conversion seldom takes place on a soft and easy couch. I'm assuming they're probably American because sofa, but conversion seldom takes place on a soft and easy seat. I think what they're trying to get at is often it's moments of pain and sorrow and desperation when we're despairing and scared that's when people find themselves turning to Jesus certainly that's the case for the criminal I don't think he could have had many worse days in his life than this one he's at the end of everything he doesn't have long left and that is where he finds Jesus maybe this is something that you've seen in your own life or in the lives of your loved ones But it's when we get to that point where we have nothing left, we're out of energy, we're struggling, we can't cope anymore. When we're at the end of ourselves, that's when we see Jesus for who he really is. It's when there's nothing else we can do that we repent and turn to him. It's moments where it's all too much to bear that bring us to our knees in prayer. Some of you in this room might have incredible testimonies of meeting Jesus during difficult times of crying out to a saviour you didn't even know yet, to ask for help. I don't know. I don't know all of your stories. I didn't become a Christian during some dramatic, painful moment. I was about 10. I was probably sitting on a fairly comfy seat in a church, much like you guys. But even from that place of relative comfort, I became a Christian knowing that I had sinned that I was sorry for what I had done and that I wanted to live my life for Jesus and have eternity with him. But even now, 20-something years on, I know that in my moments of pain and fear and despair, Jesus is right there, waiting to meet me again again and again and again and again and again. However many times I call out, however messy the situation, however desperate I am, Jesus will always meet me. Being a Christian doesn't mean we're guaranteed an easy life. In fact, Far from it. The Bible tells us that it's not easy being a Christian. But what we are promised is that Jesus, the Christ, the Saviour, the Chosen One, the Messiah, is with us and for us for eternity. Jesus paid for our sin and shame on that cross. When we sin, we can come to him, confess what we've done, and turn back to him. And he's always ready to meet us. And unlike the criminal on the cross, we do have lives to live for him and with him. We can rejoice in his presence in this world and in the next. If the band would like to come up. If you're here and you don't know Jesus yet, if you've never made a commitment to follow him then this morning we are going to make a chance for you to do that. Whether you are at a point of crisis, whether you have reached the end of yourself and are like the criminal in your darkest moment, or whether actually you're in a pretty comfortable position sitting on a comfy seat, you can know Jesus today. He is here, ready to meet you. And if you already know Jesus, but you need him, whether you're in a moment of despair or whether actually things are pretty good but you just need Jesus. He's here. We've seen all summer that he meets people where they are, whether that's in those horrendous, painful moments or where they are in their houses. Jesus will come and meet with us. In fact, he sent the Holy Spirit to be with us always. We don't have to wait for Sunday mornings. We don't have to be in certain places or wear certain clothes or say certain things. We can meet with Jesus anytime, anywhere. So whether you've come to him before or not, whether you're in despair or on the metaphorical comfy sofa, whether you asked for help yesterday and the day before and the day before, or you've not asked for help for a long time, Jesus is always ready to meet you where you are. And if you want to meet with Jesus today, all you need to do is what that criminal on the cross did. Call out to him and he will come and meet you. We're going to sing together now.